0: Okay, welcome along to another episode of the How I Caught the Wrestling Bug podcast. I'm delighted to say, joining me, uh, first of quite a few Chris's I've got lined up actually. Uh, Chris DiPetrillo. How how was the pronunciation there, Chris? Was that okay?
1: Perfect. First time out, you got
0: it. Wow. I I have had a little bit of practice though, because uh, you kindly had a request on one of my shows the other day, so... uh, a little bit of practice yeah. beforehand, but uh, great to have you on, Chris. How's it going?
1: I appreciate it. It's going really well. Everything's do, doing uh, pretty well over here. Uh, you know, just talking off air. Got the first dose of the vaccine today. So uh, definitely uh, a bright spot today. Today is a good day.
0: Yeah, I think we're definitely... The end, the end is in sight, definitely. I think we're, we're heading in the, in the right direction uh, with all this COVID stuff, and hopefully things will slowly start to to get back to normal again
1: i'm very much
0: looking forward to that <laughs> <laughs> so um of course you are currently uh, doing a show with garrett on the uh, on the fight game uh, patreon aren't you uh i think it was last month was it was it? S- it was season one of cobra kai and the first karate kid movie and this month it's the second series of cobra kai and the second karate kid film have i got that right
1: Yep, you've got it right. We are doing the entire Karate Kid universe, Um, so we're going film by film for Karate Kid season by season of Cobra Kai. Uh, We're also going to touch on things like the next Karate Kid with Hilary Swank and Pat Morita, uh, the Jaden Smith remake with Jackie Chan, uh, the old Karate Kid cartoon from the '90s. We're going to touch on a little bit of everything as far as the Karate Kid universe and franchise is concerned, but uh, you know the main focus is going to be on the three films with Ralph Macchio and Pat Morita in three seasons thus far of Cobra Kai. And it's really cool because Garrett has yet to see all seasons of Cobra Kai. So he's kind of watching them with a fresh set of eyes compared to me, who has watched them about 164 <laughs> at this point. Um, so it's a nice little back and forth of kind of getting uh, someone who's familiar with it. And, you know, it is one of my favorite film series of all time. So... I kind of have that history to it. And then Garrett has both the nostalgia from growing up around the Karate Kid movies and now, uh, like I said, the first set of eyes on Cobra Kai. So we've been doing that on Fight Game. We also did Coming to America Part 1 in the right, recent yeah. sequel. So, yeah, we've got a, a lot of content going up on Fight Game in addition to all the other great people that we have as a part of it.
0: Have you done many uh, podcasts before?
1: Yes. So I am a movie reviewer for a site uh, bulletproofaction.com and we have a podcast that I appear on uh, usually monthly or bi-monthly we kind of have a rotating panel of reviewers from the site uh, but I write a column at least one if not two to three a month for that site Uh, Mm -hmm. I've done a fully posable action figure podcast uh, because of my work at Figure Toy Company producing uh, the wrestling action figures and other action figures like for DC Comics and Kiss Uh, so a variety of wrestling podcasts I've been on Wrestling Observer Live with Brian several times. So I have definitely made the rounds.
0: (laughs) So um, obviously this um, podcast, as you know, is all about how you you caught the wrestling bug. So what was your sort of first exposure to wrestling? What would be your earliest memory of it?
1: Earliest memory was coming across world-class championship wrestling in syndication uh, right around 1984 or so. Uh, which was funny because I, I live here in Rhode Island, so I'm in the northeastern part of the United States, and we are a, a WWF, WWE stronghold, and you know there were shows going on literally five minutes from the house I grew up in. Uh, the old Providence Civic Center was a hotbed for WWF, but it was syndication out of Boston, and I stumbled upon the Von Erichs one day and fell in love with wrestling, and it just kind of steamrolled from that point on. Uh, to this day, I have a strong funds for world-class. And for all of the Von Erichs, because they were some of my
0: first favorites. Yeah, I think everyone knew who the, everyone in Texas knew who the Von Erichs were, even if they didn't know wrestling that well. Everyone knew the Claw, didn't they? That was probably the most most famous thing. But yeah, you're in a completely different part of the country, so uh, it's interesting that World Class would have been the first thing you would have stumbled across.
1: Yeah, the WWF was actually the last thing because I remember not so vividly like what it was but i just remember stumbling across nwa on tbs over a weekend when i was at my grandparents house so the wwf which was again having shows mere minutes away and they were on in weekend syndication and on usa network they were actually the last ones that i discovered but once you know this is around the era where hulkamania had rolled around and we had uh wrestlemania and hulk hogan's rock and wrestling and all of the crossover type of stuff you know i was a huge a-team fan growing up so mr t you know the first wrestlemania was really big for me just as a wrestling fan and as an a-team fan so by the time i was five years old i was all in on pretty much any wrestling i could get my hands on
0: and who were some of the wrestlers that really sort of captured your imagination as a kid
1: when i was younger so i'll get this one out of the way first most young kids drifted to hulk hogan at that era i was never a hulk hogan guy i just i just didn't get into him um as far as like the superhero type of wrestler i was always a fan of ultimate warrior uh, i love the warrior to this day uh, rowdy roddy piper Kerry von eric rick flair the four horsemen you know to me they were kind of like how my older cousins that i grew up around uh they were just like you know the cool guys you know the They were going to the nightclubs. They were getting all the girls. So I kind of like related a lot of what I saw on TV, too, Um, growing up watching shows like Dynasty in Dallas, kind of that excess of the 80s. So that really drew me into the Horsemen. Uh, And then, like, a little bit later on, as I was getting older and approaching, you know, 10, 11 years old, I had guys that, you know, Ricky Steamboat, a huge Ricky the Dragon Steamboat fan. And now we're talking about the mid 90s steve austin comes along flying brian comes along uh those are my top two of all time uh that also means the hollywood blondes naturally are my favorite tag team of all time but those uh those are my main guys some of the major players in my, this part of my fandom
0: yeah the hollywood blondes would be well up there on my list of, of favorite tag teams I, one of my favorite matches is is them against um ricky steamboat and shane douglas
1: uh, oh, God, what a great set of matches. I mean, the ones from Worldwide and then yeah. the ones that they have. You know, that whole six-month feud is just fantastic.
0: Great stuff. We might come back to that later on, I don't know. But uh, the first live show you attended, what was that?
1: First live show I attended was one of the King of the Ring tournaments, uh, which they held at the Providence Civic Centre, and it was unaired. This is when it was just kind of like a supercard that they put together. So it was 1989... And it was uh, it came down to Tito Santana and Rick Martel, if I remember correctly. Um, but yeah, the, the Providence Civic Center was just, you know, it seemed like every other week there was a show. There was also a small theater, uh, the Warwick Musical Theater, which is, uh, it used to be, should I say, mere minutes from where I live now, and they had shows frequently all the way up through the Attitude Era. So I go into live shows all the time just... WBF and then as uh, everything swelled up in the 90s with uh, the Attitude Era and WCW crossing into the territory and everything, I've been to live Nitro. I've been to ECW shows. I've been to indies, uh, you know, pretty much anything you can consider um, right up until the modern day where I've traveled uh, the last several years until the pandemic hit for WrestleMania.
0: At any point uh, during your fandom of wrestling, did you completely sort of lose interest and and completely stop watching altogether?
1: No, I've always, it's always been a part of me. Uh, The only time where I would say it had the danger of losing me was around like 1994 and 95. And actually, what kind of saved it is the Wrestling Observer newsletter. Because my freshman year algebra teacher, uh, who to this day is actually a good friend of mine, uh, turning in an assignment one day, we noticed that he had the observer on his desk. And I was like, what is this? Like, you watch wrestling? Like, what is this? And he's like, well, I watch it. He's like, but I follow the industry and kind of like, what's going on? And this is like a behind the scenes newsletter. And he would photocopy it for me until I wound up getting my own subscription years ago. So... You know That backstage aspect captivated me, the contracts and the international reviews that Dave would do and stuff like that and then I latched heavily onto ECW. I mean, to this day ECW is just one of my favorite territories and favorite eras in wrestling. So when WWF was worried about the new generation and Nitro hadn't kick-started yet and we were getting kind of the 80s retreads with Hogan and his cronies and WCW, mm-hmm. uh, it was ECW and getting some of those Like tapes and whatnot that really kept up my interest and kind of drifted me into the different aspects of wrestling where I could kind of follow it from that behind the scenes perspective
0: Yeah I think a lot of people probably stopped watching or or, or really fell out of favour of wrestling around sort of 94, 95 when it was a case of them bringing in characters like the goon and 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 duke the dumpster drose and all, and all of that i mean it was everyone sort of had a profession didn't they at, at one time it's like um you had a dentist obviously um glenn jacobs as isaac yankum and all the rest of it so yeah not a not a great period for wf around that time uh, but uh, obviously then of course you've got nitro coming along in 95 and as you say ecw was so sort of groundbreaking at the time wasn't it
1: Oh, it was so different, and, you know, for me, as someone who was kind of, you know, coming of age, you know, this is my formative years now, so I'm 14, 15, 16 years old, and it's like it it transcended everything, it was falling in line with my shift in attitude, my shift in taste, you know, it was that counterculture movement, you have heard that term used so many times about it, Mm. but, you know, here I am getting older, and even as a kid, you know, like I said, growing up around my older cousins, I was always exposed to things a little bit beyond my age range. Whether it was, you know, rated R movies or, or rap music, rock music, stuff like that. So I kind of always felt uh, a little bit older than I was. It was always, you know, kind of co- I was, you know, cool enough to be part of the crew when they were listening to something or, or watching something. So to discover something like that, like ECW, it was that same kind of feeling because. It wasn't mainstream yet, and my other friends that were into wrestling were kind of stuck watching the stuff that's on T B S and the stuff that's on USA and here I am watching double tables matches with Sabu and Taz against Public Enemy and you know, Shane Douglas, the guy who, you know, we just mentioned I had loved since the Dynamic Dudes era, you know, <laughs> the last several years in WCW, but now he was completely against the character
0: that I had known
1: and he was just you know, this crazy, kinda of like this badass jock. It was just the characters were there, but they weren't caricatures. They weren't the garbage man. They weren't the dentist. I mean, you know, I was there live for The Undertaker's burial and resurrection against Yokozuna, that casket match. Oh, right, That royal, yeah. old horrible, yeah. So I was sitting in the crowd for one of the most noteworthy bad segments of all time. <laughs> so uh, to, to see something like ECW and then to see something like Nitro come along and then to kind of start leaning into the ECW stuff. Um, you know that really is the stuff that kept me alive uh, fandom wise in the mid 90s
0: and as for right now I mean what are your viewing habits now what are the shows that you watch from week to week
1: so I still watch everything uh, most of the time I'm watching with my son because my son is really latched on to wrestling and you know he follows it along with me and follows it really well for yeah i think um
0: i think zach was probably more excited to be on the zoom call with brian alvarez than you were actually
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's hilarious because he will wake up on like the weekends or on tuesday mornings or after pay-per-views and he'll be like what's the news what did dave and brian say what did i miss like he like he actually actively asks about it so he's beyond just being like hey did drew mcintyre win last night like he wants to know Whose contract is up? Is this person going to show up in AEW? Um, but we watch Raw, we watch SmackDown, we watch NXT, we watch AEW. Uh, AEW and NXT are both DVRing right now, so we can I can check them out later and check them out a little bit in the morning or after school tomorrow. Uh, I keep up on Ring of Honor because part of my work at Figure Story Company is uh, that we maintain a Ring of Honor licensing to make their action figures and replica belts. So I do keep up on them. I think that their hour-long show right now is pretty great. Uh, I do keep up on New Japan, uh, not every show, but you know, checking out New Japan Strong, uh, the big cards stemming from overseas in Japan right now. Uh, and I watch UFC every week, so I'm in MMA just as much as I am wrestling. And then it's just kind of scattered from there, you know. Uh, especially before the pandemic hit. You know, I was watching the PWG events pretty regularly, uh, shoot interviews, things like that on the High Spots Network. And we watch a lot of classic wrestling, too. You know, we'll pull something up on WWE Network or on YouTube. So, I mean, I sat here and watched old Smoky Mountain in USWA with my son. Right. So, we keep up on everything current, and we like to go back in time a little bit so we can see some things from back in my day.
0: we come on now to the rapid-fire questions, which... Uh... I don't know why I called it that, because they really aren't rapid fire at all, but um, <laughs> your favourite, and I say, that every week, I say that every episode as well, but your, your favourite wrestler of all time, uh, who would you go for for that?
1: Flying Brian Pullman, to the extent that my family dog, years ago, his name was Pullman, he was named after him.
0: <laughs> what, do, what do you make of um, his son, how, how, how he's doing right now?
1: I think he's doing really well. Um, I actually have him under contract for an action figure. Uh, I have shown that preview on my social media um, going months back. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm a fan. I've met him several times, talked to him. And you know, I think that the tag team that he's doing right now with Griff Garrison, I think that they have a chance to prosper once AEW gets some more TV time. You know, I, I think that uh, the loaded roster right now is a bit of a detriment. I think they're kind of very heavy right now. We need to spread the wealth a little bit. So. Hopefully, the additional TV time and then uh, you know reformatting these two dark shows, Dark and Dark Elevation, will see them get a more consistent push.
0: When would you have first seen uh, Fly and Brian? Would it would it have been sort of, I suppose it would have been early nineties WCW. I, I remember him having those great matches with like Dushin Liger, and uh, yeah, I mean he was really, really when Bill Watts came in. That's really when things kind of went wrong for, for Brian Pillman because I think he was on course to have quite a big push at one stage and then obviously the famous story goes that Bill Watts came in and uh, he was, Brian Pillman was getting paid all this money and uh, he was more than happy just to be a very well paid jobber wasn't he at that time when, when Bill Watts came in
1: yeah they wanted to renegotiate his contract and they threatened like you know we're just going to job you out and I believe the quote was something like well then I'm just going to be the highest
0: paid yeah. jobber on the <laughs> that's right yeah
1: uh, but, yeah, back in 1989 or so, like, when he first showed up in the NWA was when I first saw him, and I latched on to him quite a bit then, and then, it was, like, the Hollywood Blonde was really just, like, you know, Tillman really, you know, I talk about how things kind of parallel my taste in things, and... You know, as a young kid, I'm watching him as the plucky babyface, so that's what most young kids drift towards. Um, like I said, I was never a Hogan fan, but for some reason, I liked you know white meat babyface Brian Thoman. And then I'm getting older, and I'm getting into more of you know the antihero era. And here he is as the Hollywood Blondes, and you know they were like the horsemen to it. You know they were like just you know they were too cool to do. Um, and then he went and did the loose cannon stuff, which was just. Fant- I mean, the loose cannon from the Horseman all the way through ECW to when he went to the WWF is just one of my, my favourite uh, threads to follow uh, as far as character evolution and, and someone's career. And, uh, you know, it's sad that we lost him when we did because I think he could have been a really integral part of the Attitude Era.
0: Oh, without a doubt. I think he, in, in some respects what he was doing was ahead of its time. Yeah, It yeah, really was. And, uh, yeah, it's great that someone mentions yeah, Brian Pillman because... I've had a lot of guests on the show now and, and the go-to answers are like Bret Hart or, or Shawn Michaels. So it's nice that someone picks someone like Brian Pillman because I, I really do feel that someone that was taken from us far too soon and people don't realise the impact he had did, did make on the industry, you know. And I think that, uh, yeah, great to, great to think about him and mention his name because uh, he definitely left his mark for sure. Um, Favourite match of all time, what would you choose for that?
1: Bret Hart versus Steve Austin at WrestleMania 13, the I Quit match with uh, Ken Shamrock as the special referee, just a fantastic match. You know, I mentioned that Austin was another one of my favorites, and I love Bret. Uh, you know, Bret's not up there, like you said. A lot of people picked him and Sean as like their number one or number two. Uh, Bret is up there, but the other guys do still outweigh him as far as you know my choice and my selection. But that to me is just a, a perfect match. Just what the, the creativity behind it. The way it was worked, the way the storyline clicked, the way it introduced Shamrock into the fold—I just think that is one of the best booking jobs and one of the best jobs that two wrestlers could possibly do in the ring in that match.
0: Yeah, quite a few people have uh, have chosen that match, and it's easy to see why. I mean, it was such a it was such a uh, important match as well for the for the history of the business as well. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, we've spoken about it quite a lot on this show, but. Um, any other matches that are up there on the list for you, or what would be sort of the sort of top three for you, or top five?
1: Let's say Well, we've mentioned the uh, the Hollywood Blonde series of matches, so those are definitely up there for me. Um, Steve Austin versus The Rock at WrestleMania Seventeen—that's uh, another show right. that I was yep. live in the audience for—and to be there. Uh, I mean, just that whole show in general, because the TLC match on that show too, obviously, um, just a tremendous blowaway match. But that Austin versus The Rock.
0: I think it, sorry, I think it was you I was talking to the other day. It may not have been, so forgive me if it wasn't. But we were talking about how obviously it was a huge mistake to turn Austin Hill at the end of that match. But they had a great opportunity later on in the year when Austin did that big run-in uh, during the Alliance and WWF feud. Um, they had a great opportunity to turn him back babyface and unfortunately they turned him here again al- almost by doing them um, having him turn on WBF at the Invasion pay-per-view. Uh, was it you I was talking to or I got that wrong?
1: No, nope, no, we were definitely talking about that. Because yeah, we were
0: we, weren't you there in the building that night when he made that entrance?
1: Yes, I yeah. I was there for that as well. I, I've been fortunate to be there for quite a few things. Yes, that when he came out and started stunning everybody and they were like, you know, the old Stone Cold and they were trying to kind of rally him all through the show and just kind of snap out of it and come to. Uh, yes, I was there for that, and just, it was tremendous. And it was like he had earned all the goodwill that we thought he had lost back, and then they used it just for another nonsensical heel turn. You know, just kind of, that's when everything kind of started circling the drain, and they started doing these things more out of uh, a need to feel that they needed to shock us as opposed to get the business back on its feet.
0: Yeah, and the night after Survivor Series, he ended up turning them back babyface anyway. But yeah, I think that would have been a great opportunity because it was a mistake, wasn't it, to turn him heel? I think even Austin himself has said that if he could go back and call an audible and just stun Vince in the middle of the ring, he would have done. Yes.
1: Yep. And I, you know, I would completely have been fine with that. Send everybody home happy and just do it that way.
0: Any other matches up there for you?
1: Uh, Steamboat and Savage, WrestleMania um, 3 right. I know that was yeah. kind of uh, a trope At this point, a lot of people mentioned that one But that's a match that really captivated me As a kid, uh, Ricky, like I said Is one of my favorites of all time, so is Macho Steamboat and Flair uh, you know, A lot of my favorites are a lot of the obvious ones um, I'll throw one in there that's A little bit more recent, and it might fly Under a lot of people's radar Just because PWG doesn't have so much exposure But if you ever have a chance To check out Kenny Omega versus ACH From PWG in 2014 it is a hilarious match in the sense that not only is it well worked and you know it's what you would expect from kenny omega and an ach at the time but the two of them begin cosplaying austin and the rock in the middle of the match and it is just it's so <laughs> over the top and zany uh it was, you know, it was before kenny kind of started Delving a little bit more into the serious stuff that we would see in New Japan with the Okada series and Jericho Cube and stuff like that. But that's just a really fun match. It's it's probably my favorite PWG match just because there's so much entertainment value on different levels in it. Um, You know, there's been a million other six-star, seven-star matches Uh, that have come since then but it's just one of those matches that you kind of get lost in and just have a smile on your face at the end of it and and i can appreciate a good match like that as well so that's one that doesn't get mentioned too often uh in any circle that i've noticed and if you've got uh, a means to check out pwg i would suggest checking that one out
0: you mentioned how you've been there for a lot of great moments so this this next question might be a difficult one to answer but um the best live show that you've attended what would that be?
1: would have to be WrestleMania 17. WrestleMania 17, I was very fortunate to be a part of. Uh, this was when we had the contract at my company for WWF Replica Belts. So we were actually uh, gifted the tickets because we went down to launch the sales of the title belts at Fan Access that weekend. So I got to be a little bit behind the scenes at Fan Access and got to sit in the crowd for the show. So got to meet a lot of talent that weekend. Uh, got to enhance my career a little bit, and at that point i had only been with Figure Toy Company slightly more than a year, about a year and a half. And then just for so much to have happened at that show, I mean, you know, a lot of people were still kind of watching it with eyes wide open, wondering what the deal was with the purchase of WCW. And, you know, even though we didn't get too much as far as that that night, just everything from Austin Rock, the TLC match, uh, the Vince the Shane stuff. Uh, the gimmick battle royal just just an insanely fun show the crowd was hot all the way through uh you know the next night was when everything started going downhill like we just said but to be there in that arena just i will never forget the noise of the crowd and just being able to see some of those matches firsthand
0: do you know the story as to why the iron sheik won that gimmick battle royal by the way
1: uh, wasn't it that he was uh, in such ill health, or uh, his weight was so much that he couldn't be tossed over the top rope?
0: Well, yeah, I think that's what he claimed that he couldn't take a bump over the top rope, and that's why he, that's why he won. Which I think is is great. But um, yeah, I mean, I love that because they they brought back Bobby Heenan and and, and uh, Mean Gene to call that match. It was just great to see them back on uh, on WrestleMania. But um, so yeah, that was the best show you ever attended live. I and mean, what else is up there? Any other? Yeah, you that, that roar, I'm guessing, was quite a good one to be at when uh, Austin made that, uh, came out and stunned everyone.
1: Yeah, oh yeah, that was a great show. I was live at King of the Ring 97. I was live at WrestleMania in Boston when Austin won the title. So the first Undertaker and Kane match, uh, the match you know, where Austin won the belt, Mike Tyson was the referee. I was there at Royal Rumble 94 when I was a kid. Uh, I was at several WCW shows, although I wouldn't rank them up as some of the best shows because <laughs> one was the night after Slam Slamboree 98, so it was only an hour-long show, and it was 1998, so it was in the middle of a lot of the politicking with the different NWO crews, and then the next time I was behind the scenes at WCW was in 2000, and it was the in-between era, when Russo hadn't come back yet, and the Radicals had just left, so... This was when uh, Booker T was feuding with Stevie Ray over the letter T. And oh, yeah, feuding
0: was, with uh, Ahmed Johnson, wasn't it, uh, who was known as was Big Steve Big T. T. Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah that's so, right, yeah. That this era. Le- uh, Lenny and Lodi were uh, repackaged as uh, Lane and Rave. Uh, Kid Min was there, uh, Kurt Hennig, they were trying to position Kurt Hennig as a babyface, teaming with Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair was with Lex Luger as Team Package, it was just, they were, it was total, a total dartboard booking mentality, so, uh, it was cool to be there, it was cool to get to go backstage and stuff, but, uh, as far as a show, definitely not what I was looking forward to as far of a show.
0: Did you ever attend a good WCW show? <laughs>
1: Sadly, no. <laughs> I've had good experiences at WCW shows, but I, yeah, I have not uh, been to one that stood out. Uh, unfortunately, they weren't really coming up this way when I was younger. Uh, like I said, you know, WWF was the most accessible, and then by the time I could really get around and travel to shows, drive to shows and stuff, we're talking you know the mid to late 90s, and that's when everything was kind of crashing and burning for them. So, yeah, didn't get to didn't get to see any of my favorites up close uh, in their primes. You know, I never got to see the Hollywood Blondes live, and I didn't get to see... Let me see. I saw Steamboat when I was younger, but I didn't get to see Steamboat during his WCW days. I didn't see Steamboat again until Backlash 2009, when he took
0: on Jericho. Jericho, Um, Did you ever get to attend an ECW show?
1: Yes. Back in Worcester? In 1999, and I believe the main event was Taz versus Bubba Ray Dudley. I believe that was the last match. So this was, again, this was like the era where people were starting to leave. So it wasn't really the ECW of old. It was kind of like that, you know, getting the TNN deal, starting to commercialize. uh, People like the Dudleys, Taz, they all had one foot out the door. So it was cool just because it was ECW, but you know i didn't get to go to the ecw arena until i went to ring of honors war of the worlds against new japan in 2015 that was the first time i got to go to the arena
0: and who were some of the guys in ecw that really stood out to you who were some of your favorites from ecw Since you were such a huge fan of, of that particular company
1: uh shane douglas raven uh, and his whole crew I was always a fan of Brian Lee. You know, a lot of people were right, not yeah. the big Undertaker angle, because uh, I wasn't either. But uh, because I had latched on to Smoky Mountain, because one thing uh, that was really cool when I was a teenager is I had an old UHF TV in my room. And there was a channel, it was called the America One Network. And every night during the week at 11 o'clock during the mid-90s to the late 90s, they had a different syndicated wrestling show on. So I would get to see ECW, I would get to see Smoky Mountain, I would get to see USWA. So I was able to see a lot of the stuff uh, that were that I was reading about in the magazines and in the Observer. And I was always really taken uh, for Scandido and Primetime Brian Lee. So when they wound up in ECW, and then when they linked up with Shane Douglas as the triple threat, uh, that was one of my favorite tandems. Uh, I loved the whole feud with that Shane Douglas and the triple threat I had with the Pit Bulls when... Uh, Gary Wolf, people number one, uh, jammed his neck and was in the Halo briefly. And they had Shane Douglas kind of shake the Halo, rival the Halo, and they built up like this really like big uh, big grudge feud, blood feud. That was one of my favorite things. Uh, Sandman, you know, Sandman's just, you know, him and New Jack, uh, what they lack in match quality, they definitely make up for in entertainment. Like, it was always cool to get the entrance or to see them make the save. And then a lot of guys that, you know, either moved on to other places like stevie richards was there and then he became better known as a worker kind of like in his wwf days and then uh, louis piccoli who unfortunately passed away but when he left wwf and dropped the rad radford thing they were really giving him a bit of a push and letting him kind of show his wear and uh, show his worth should i say and he was really good and i was really a fan of him and it was kind of sad to see him uh, throw in the towel and head over to WCW and really just kind of become a bit of a flunky again because I think he had a chance to, you know, if this was today's day and age, I think he'd be one of the top guys on the indies.
0: Oh, without a doubt, absolutely. Um, I haven't really had a chance to talk much ECW with um, with previous guests. It's, it's good to sort of um, deep dive into a bit of ECW talk because, as we said, they were such a groundbreaking company and I think... Um, Obviously, Rob Van Dam is heavily rumoured to be going into the Hall of Fame this year. Uh, it hasn't been announced yet, but it looks it looks fairly likely. Who do you reckon they'll get to induct him? Do you reckon it'll be Paul?
1: I, yeah, I would think it would be Paul Heyman. I think that seems like the obvious one because it has the natural tie-in. And then even if they're going by their own history, you could kind of link it to the stuff they did back in like 2005-2006 with the ECW revival and how Rob Van Dam was built to be the franchise of that.
0: Yeah, I think Paul's probably the, the, the go-to choice. Somebody mentioned Jerry Lynn, but of course, Jerry Lynn's an AEW, so I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought that, that would happen. But when you look at RVD's career, would you say that Jerry Lynn was perhaps his best opponent?
1: I think that Jerry, yeah, I think that Jerry Lynn was his best opponent. I think Sabu was his most familiar opponent, and oh, they had some yeah. good matches. But I think it was that series with Lynn that really put the both of them over the top as far as um, star quality.
0: And of course, RVD had a great run in in, in It's kind of a shame that when he did finally get the belt after you know at one night stand against Cena, obviously he's in the car with Sabu, they get pulled over, and he ends up getting stripped of the title, which is a real it was a real shame because a lot of people were really behind him to finally get that big run with the belt. And well, do you think he would have got a decent run with it at the time, or do you reckon that um, it probably would have wouldn't have lasted that long anyway?
1: At the time, I think Heyman would have done everything he could to protect the title and, you know, maybe run until December. You know, if they were going to have that December pay-per-view, maybe things would have turned out differently and you could have had some type of big RVD singles match. Because once he went down, uh, you know, because of that situation, they were just basically scrambling at that point. And, you know, that version of ECW was so bare bones anyway and the stuff that they were trying to make them do that I think that losing Rob Van Dam as champion really hurt any chance for it had to get off the ground. But, you know, had he stayed on board, we probably could have gotten something like an RVD Kurt Angle series for that belt. And I think that that would have been amazing. I think having a different conversation tonight about how Kurt was his best opponent.
0: Yeah, quite, quite easily. Yeah, absolutely. Um, The final question I ask everyone on this show, and it's, it is a difficult one to answer in a way because you don't, you don't sort of know how to go about answering it because you can go at it from so many different angles. But the question is, if you could change one thing about the wrestling business, what would it be? So is there one thing that sort of stands out to you that you think, oh, I wish I could change that? I think
1: that all companies would be best served by booking backwards. I think that the old mentality of looking at where you wanted next year's WrestleMania, where you wanted certain people to be positioned and what you wanted it to be, and then going from there, I just feel like it's a lost art. I think that, you know, New Japan is out pretty well, and I think AEW has a good idea of what they want to be, but I think that they're also too willing to change course too often. Right. So I think that if we had people looking forward and saying okay, here are our projects here are the two guys that we want to get over to be in a main event match next year, you know, we want this to be the grudge, we want this to be the feud whatever it is, even if it's a guy like a Kenny Omega or a Drew McIntyre that you, you know they're already over, they're already established you know, here's what we're going to do to keep them this way, and then of course you know, maybe you've got a backup plan, maybe you've got a way to tweak things like how we got the Steve austin Bret Hart double turn, you know. But I think that all companies would be best served by having that long-term planning and really kind of hunkering down and saying, okay, look, we've got 80 guys on the roster, but here's the 10 that we really need to get behind, and then we'll, you know, aim for six months out, nine months out, a year out, and then you kind of take it from there. Because... We were talking in our group about WrestleMania and how WrestleMania just feels flat. And it's because we just saw two different title changes.
0: We're yeah. watching
1: the same guys over and over. You know, Drew McIntyre and Sheamus had a great match the other night, but you're talking about two guys who were kicking around on the roster 13, 14 years ago.
0: So, yeah, yeah absolutely. It, yeah, I think, um, and also, I mean, WrestleMania is, what, two weeks away, three weeks away? And they're still not completely decided what they're doing. I mean, th- that is unheard of. I mean, it used to be the case that you'd know by about Survivor Series, you'd start getting like a, a feeling for what the big matches were going to be. I remember Lesnar and Goldberg having that big stare down at Survivor Series and it led to the match at WrestleMania. But you get none of that now. I mean, I think it always was better when Vince and Pat would... would Book a year out, you know, driving in, in Vince's car or whatever, you know, from from one town to the next. It always seemed to be better that way. But now, I don't know. I, I just think they've got no clue what they're doing from one week to the next.
1: I can definitely attest to that. I feel like there's, uh, you know, I mentioned that, that kind of like that dark board mentality. It's like, okay, you know, here's the list of guys that could be the champion for Drew to kind of repeat what he did last year with Lesnar. Okay, well, we've got protecting protect him, Lashley, so he's it. I, but, I mean, really, that could have been anybody. You could have been protecting anyone. You know, you could have protected Karrion Cross for a year and put him on the roster. You, know, on it with, you know, could have called up people from NXT and not scrubbed them out. You know, last year, I know that they were short-handed on people, but you had Andrade and Austin Theory challenging for the tag team titles, and now one of them was so unhappy he asked to leave, and the other one is Johnny Gargano's henchman on NXT. So yeah. there's just no consistency in character either. I mean, we always had guys kind of that were kind of winding down, phased down a little bit. You know, uh, Tito Santana, you know, after he had like a, a brilliant, you know, eight, ten-year run, they gave him the Matador gimmick that kind of made him a lower mid-card guy, a jobber to the star, whatever you want to say. But here we are now watching the guys who have been around for 10 years, 12 years, and they're still the major players because they've completely eliminated the chances for so many of the guys that had come from underneath and even on nxt you know nxt is the one that has uh the a lot of the better workers a lot of the more protected workers because of triple h's influence but nxt just feels like a stale brain and a flat brain because it's the same people being cycled in and out you know we still have Tommaso Ciampa, johnny gargano adam cole and that's not to take away from their ability or right? because like adam cole gargano like those are two of my favorites but they need that change of pace or that change of environment, and I don't think anybody in NXT, aside from maybe Karrion Cross, has truly been built up enough. You know, Right now, we're seeing the Undisputed Era being broken apart and feuding with each other, and that's because the Undisputed Era were pushed so much as a group that they're really the only ones who are over enough to feud with each other, aside from the guys that they have already fought a million times.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it used to be a case that a guy would get the NXT title and... When he lost it, you knew it was because he's getting called up to the main roster. And obviously that happened with Keith Lee. But you've got Adam Cole and, and obviously Finn's been on the main roster and came back again. Um, yeah, I think NXT is um, it definitely it's definitely not what it was. I mean, there's definitely... It's night and day between the NXT that we got on the USA network that we have on the USA network now compared to the NXT we had on the network when it was exclusively on the network every Wednesday. Um, um, but I do, I mean, I still enjoy the product for the most part. But it's definitely not what it was. That's for sure. That's definitely the case, isn't it? It's just uh, I think um, it's a, yeah, it's a stale brand. You're absolutely right.
1: Yeah I mean it's it's there are still aspects that are enjoyable and like I said you know there are a lot of guys that I'm just a fan of that person so I want to see them work and I want to see their matches so it's not like I'm necessarily watching out of habit but a lot of it you know especially with WWE just feels flat at least with AEW there's a lot of freshness and you know again I think the roster is a bit overloaded but at least it gives them the opportunity to present different matchups that are more intriguing and I do like the fact that if something sticks, they try to kind of roll with it for a couple of weeks and see if it's a one-shot or if it's something that they can build upon. Uh, and then, you know, with New Japan, you know, obviously they have everything set in stone for so long, like, they kind of know where they're going to go. But there's just been some amazing stuff happening there, both match-wise and character-wise. You know, like, Will Osprey as a heel, I think is just tremendous. I think that because he's leaning into that, that this will really give him more opportunity in the future, if that makes sense. Like, he doesn't come off as just another uh, another fantastic worker. Like, now he's kind of developing that personality in this role. So I like seeing stuff like that. But as far as just strictly WWE and NXT, I mean, it's just, you know, it's like they're flatlining, and you get, like, that little blip here and there. But really, it, it's like they're struggling. And I want to see them succeed, but I feel that the biggest detriment to them is Vince himself. I think he's just... He's, he's getting up there in age, he is set in his ways, he fears change, he doesn't like change, and we're not going to get much change, if any, until Vince is passed, and we have you know Stephanie, Triple H, Shane, all of them, none of them, whoever else is in control. I hope that they are able to kind of right the ship, because Triple H was kind of deemed the savior when he took over NXT, and now obviously we see that's not necessarily the case because of you know, Vince's iron grip on his WWE. You know, at the end of the day, NXT is still WWE. And being on USA has really ruined um, the presentation of NXT and what we can expect from it. You know, there's been a bit more goofiness on it, uh, a bit more, you know, paint by numbers, uh, a bit more by the book, kind of like your standard Raw or SmackDown episode. And so I'm hoping that we kind of get more of Triple H's old school influence or maybe we get some guys that really get a chance to shine like msk or swerve scott or bronson reed like those type of guys that were killing it on the indies and in some of the promotions that had a buzz i hope that one day they really get a chance to get elevated and grow into something that we could see main eventing a pay-per-view it's
0: it's it's also sort of baffling to me where the next sort of young set of talents are coming from because if you look at AEW. There's like guy after guy in their twenties, from Adam Page, who is nearly thirty, not quite, but he's he's, he's definitely his, his late twenties. Then you've got guys like Darby and um, Sammy Guevara, and obviously MJF, who's just turned twenty-five, and Jungle Boy, who I think is even younger than that. But then you look at Dudley and like the Royal Rumble this year, like two guys under the age of thirty in the entire thing with Dominic Mysterio and Otis. The only guys in their 20s. That's a worrying thing because at one time, yeah, Vince would put guys out to pasture when they reached 40. I remember Randy Savage in like 93, 94. One of the big reasons he left was because he was being transitioned out of being a wrestler and, and into becoming an announcer. So, and now, you know, the average age of top guys is 40. It's, it's amazing how things have kind of gone that way. Yeah, I just don't see anyone right now on the main roster that uh, is young and has potential to. Um, yeah, I, I just I just can't see it. I mean, there's too many dare I say older talents on the roster. Do you think that's a fair comment?
1: Oh, absolutely. What I can what I can see happening, um, and you know, maybe our conversation tonight is a bit of foreshadowing to it, is exactly what eric bischoff did in 1995 because eric bischoff had guys that were younger but not necessarily very young and he had you know the hogan the savage the flair who were older on top and what he did was he just went to ecw and took eddie guerrero and dean malenko and chris benoit And he grabbed Rey Mysterio, and then he grabbed the Luchadors. So I think, you know, AEW cannot keep up that roster forever. And, you know, the Indies are really hurting right now because of the pandemic and everything. And I'm sure that as things get back to normal, we'll get, you know, fresher talents and younger faces rising up. But I can see people getting a shot in AEW and, you know, them needing to trim the fat. And they cut a couple of guys who maybe they just feel aren't ready or guys who don't. You know, stick around. Uh, With Ring of Honor, you know, I can see them getting some guys. Even Ring of Honor's roster is uh, a bit up there in age. Uh, You know, you've got guys like the Briscoes and EC3, like guys who are kind of in their mid-30s. But you also have guys like Bandito and Flamita and stuff like that. So I can see in another year or two, WWE just kind of going around and cherry-picking some of the hot young stars And bringing them in, and sliding them in, and again, you know, it could be just to grab them to have them, like they've done with Ricochet and pretty much everybody else, or maybe they're going to realize that there's no one left. You know, they've exhausted every legend, they've exhausted every part-time main eventer, they've exhausted every shocking return, they've exhausted every major heel turn, it's like Everything's so been there, done that. They need a spark. So I think that they will steal the spark from somewhere else, and that will hopefully reignite the whole product, much like what happened to WCW back in 95, 96.
0: Well, let's hope so. Because I think, yeah, you know, obviously, even with Bobby Lashley, who, yeah, I was delighted to see Bobby Lashley win the title, even though I think it's probably going to just be a short reign to get it back on to Drew. But Bobby Lashley was there... 15 years ago now you know the first time around so yeah I mean it's it's hardly a new young guy that you're pushing and I uh, I just I would like to see uh, even Drew I mean like like you said earlier I mean Drew was there years ago as well I mean he's he's in his mid-30s I mean I wouldn't say that's old that's that's around my age right now I wouldn't say that's old at all but yeah I, I would love to see some young guys coming through. I mean, someone like, Angel, I don't know how old Angel Garza is off the top of my head, but he must be in his 20s, I would guess. I, I,
1: yeah, I think he's in his late 20s. I think he might be like 28 or 29. So I think he's like on the cusp of 30, but he's still definitely young enough.
0: Yeah, I don't know what they're doing with that guy. I mean, I think the last time I saw him, he was with Miz and Morrison for like a week.
1: Yeah, he was just Funky like a month ago. And that, and that was it I mean even you know, the, the one new guy that they're trying to get over and link to something mainstream with the Bad Bunny connection is Damien Priest and Damien Priest is like my age he's like 40 years old
0: yeah yeah it, it's uh, yeah I, I, I don't know I don't know where the young guys are coming from but I hope you're right I hope that uh, we do see something like what happened in WCW in, in the mid 90s because unfortunately the WWE is sort of becoming a little bit like WCW right now with too many older guys and there's no young guys coming through and uh, and that's where AEW, I think, is heading in the right direction. And I I think, um, I'd love to see what the future holds for MJF because he's really great now, but how much better is he going to be? Yeah,
1: I think that he's only scratching the surface. I think that eventually, I mean, he's got the character work down, Pat. I think in the ring... He, you know, he's not a dynamic worker, but he's a solid worker, and I think that the more he works out the kinks in the ring and leans more into, like, I mean, this is a guy who could probably never be a babyface. I mean, maybe eventually (laughs) the crowds will turn him babyface, because, you know, a lot of people thought that about The Rock. Oh, they were saying, die, Rocky die, and then, you know, look at the man now. So, you know, one of these days, and... Who knows? You know, a lot of people kind of think, oh, you know, Tony Khan gave them the big break. Oh, these guys will never leave. Well, guess what? Vince gave a lot of people their big break, too. And everybody bounced around. So we could very well see some type of AEW invasion someday. Or maybe we'll just see guys like Top Flight or Pillman Jr. or Griff Garrison or, you know, people like that. Just, you know, Tony Khan says, hey, I've got to get rid of 20 people. And WWE's like, all right, well... Eric Bischoff didn't want Steve Austin and Mick Foley. Look what we did with them. Well, let's grab those top-flight guys and let's grab Tillman Jr. and let's do something with them. So we could definitely see another situation like that.
0: Well, who was the guy... I'm drawing a blank on the guy's name now, but who was the guy that had a... I think he had a match on Dynamite. He definitely had a couple of the great matches on Dark. And AEW didn't sign him, and he ended up going to WWE. Um, who was that guy? I can't remember his name. Oh, uh
1: he just changed his name uh,
0: Benjamin Carter that's it yeah Ben Carter that's right yeah because he had those great matches in AEW but AEW didn't sign him and then WWE picked him up so that that can happen yeah that, I think um, yeah obviously WWE has got WWE clearly has one eye on on, on what's going on and I think that uh, AEW definitely needs to be aware of that because Vince you know everyone says that Vince is is gotten too old he's out of touch but there's always been that light bulb moment where Vince finally comes to and realises we've got to go in a different direction. I'm not sure it's going to happen this time because I've kind of lost faith in Vince now. But every if it was any other time in the business, I would go, right, Vince will Vince will figure it out. He'll get there. But I'm not sure I'll work it out this time. Maybe it will take someone like a Paul Levesque taking over for that to happen. What do you think to that?
1: I, I would agree, I think that Vince really has just kind of mentally checked out. I think that you know wrestling keeps him going. You know, it's in his blood, it's all he knows. So that's why he continues to do it. But you know, he's very if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So if he's got his TV money coming in and he's got the network on Peacock now, he is cashing out and he has checked out. He is just kind of riding that wave. Until he's bedridden or can't be at the gorilla position or whatever the circumstances in the future may be, I think that he is just really just you know kind of on the line, and everybody else has to go along for the ride and kind of yesing him to death until he decides to turn over the reins. And whoever gets the reins, I hope that they have half of the interest in the product as a whole as Triple H did because. Uh, I'm personally not a Triple H fan. Uh, I never really cared for him as a character, and um, just personally, uh, he rubs me the wrong way, but I think that he does have an affinity for the history of wrestling and oh, how things were done. Yeah, and I think that if he is allowed to utilize that, utilize his inspiration, and utilize what he grew up on, much like we saw a lot with in earlier nxt you know in you know from 2015 through 2019 or so i think that we can get back to having a roster full of some pretty spectacular workers spectacular matches and something that is equally captivating as a new japan or an AEW show
0: yeah i definitely think that paul Levesque is someone that really appreciates the history and i think um, the Dudley hall of fame i don't take it seriously at all i don't think anyone really should take it seriously but you can't have a WWE hall of fame without bruno Martino. and he was the one that really was responsible for making that happen and also with the warrior as well i think um building those fences as well uh, i think it was really great But obviously what happened with warrior as well as well which when you think about it is, is amazing that he was there in the hall of fame on that on the on what the saturday night he was there at WrestleMania on the Sunday. He did that promo on Raw, and then was it like the Tuesday or the Wednesday?
1: The, yeah, well, yeah, when he returned home.
0: Yeah, and he 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 was gone. You know, so it was a really special moment to get Warrior to go in the Hall of Fame. I wonder if he knew that he was in a bad way and that that might be his last chance to go in. I don't know you just don't know do you but yeah he he was um if you go back and look at those sort of last few days of warrior i mean he was he was sweating profusely wasn't he you could tell that he was really oh, yes. struggling and um i wonder if he knew how bad he he had it sort of thing You just you just don't know do you no and, and
1: that's one of my biggest regrets too because i had wanted to go to WrestleMania that year, So that was 2014, but I was getting married later in the year. So we were just basically, you know, just saving money and, you know, focusing on the ceremony and the event and then, obviously, the honeymoon after the fact. So I skipped out on it, and when I found out that Warrior was going to the Hall of Fame was going to be there,
0: I was like, oh, like,
1: I really want to go, like, you know, and, you know, I was this close to going. I'm like, nah, you know what, like, I got to do, I mean, I'm going to do the right thing, you know, got to make sure that I'm kind of, you know, keeping myself in check as far as, you know, this wedding and everything that, you know, prioritizing. And then when that happened, it was like, oh, like, what a punch to the gut. Because I mentioned before, you know, I was never a Hogan guy, but as a kid, it was always the work I was drawn to. You know, he was like the real life superhero. And, you know, when he passed away, it was like, I'll never get to see him live again. I'll never get to see him just come down to the ring or get in someone's face. Not that he was doing anything active, but just having that opportunity to maybe even, you know, meet him in an access event you know in a, at another year uh you know that one kind of hit a little bit hard because he really is one of my all-time favorites you know i know a lot of people soured on him later in life some of his personal beliefs and stuff but i've always been able to separate uh the part the person from their character or you know what they're portraying on tv and you know when i was a kid man that return at wrestlemania 8 i mean i remember how much I was jumping around I mean that moment when he came out and saved Hogan still gives me goosebumps you know just, that's just one of the greatest scenes in wrestling history so it is really sad that we lost him when we did
0: yeah and, and that promo he cut on Raw I mean I think the final words were the spirit of the Ultimate Warrior will run forever and uh, yeah definitely will I think he definitely left his mark I think he's he's someone that was a little bit misunderstood I, th- I think obviously he did say some some very outrageous things that I can't condone but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, think he had, he, I think his speech was a great one. I think a lot of people were taken by surprise by how how normal he was, I, I guess, in, in his speech. And he was just a, a great family man. And he, I think he, he built a lot... He he made a lot of fences that weekend uh, with a lot of people that he'd fallen out with over the years. And uh, it was a great sort of farewell, if you like, that he got to have there. So, uh I don't want to end uh, the podcast on, on that note necessarily, so let's figure something happier to finish with. Um, so, um, obviously you're doing the podcast with Garrett. Any any aspirations? To any more podcasts? Uh, any any more wrestling podcasts? Obviously you, you do a lot outside of wrestling, but any desire to do a, a regular wrestling podcast, or anything like that?
1: Yeah, I, you know, one thing that I mentioned that I would love to do for the group, uh, and it would have been tough just with the regular old WWE network, but I, you know, We talked a lot about ECW on here, and I feel like not enough people look back on ECW or talk about the actual matches. You know, maybe the characters, maybe the incidents, but it would have been really cool to look back at old episodes of ECW TV. So I don't know if it could be anything that's ongoing, because there's really no way to utilize uh, ECW television without having to use those very hastily edited versions <laughs> uh but i know there's like some on youtube and i know that things pop up here and there on like daily motion and sites like that so you know maybe just kind of doing some type of ecw watch along or uh, almost like a uh, a homework assignment you know those who haven't seen certain matches um just trying to kind of find things for people to check out something they might not normally see whether it be ECW or Smoky Mountain or uh, a newer indie show, you know, something like that. Uh, Even if it's something like Ring of Honor, I think that it would be cool to uh, lean into a little bit more of that stuff because I think that, you know, WWF, WWE, uh, AEW, New Japan, all that stuff, I mean, that's all the norm. That's all the mainstream right now. So some type of uh, retrospective on the old stuff would be really cool. And I like the dynamic of like how Garrett and I have the Cobra Kai podcast where it's a fresh set of eyes. He hasn't seen Cobra Kai yet, so he's watching it and kind of reporting back to me his thoughts, and I'm kind of telling him what I had thought about it when I first saw it and what I thought as a lifelong Karate Kid fan. So, you know, because I'm so affectionate towards ECW, if I could get someone who's not familiar with it, forgot about it, or never really got to see it, uh, I think that would be a great dynamic as well. I think having kind of like that little odd couple back and
0: forth would be very entertaining that'd be really cool yeah I, i'm really enjoying the uh, the retro raw shows that um the you know, 97 raw shows that john and uh, garrett are doing right now uh, i always make a point of listening to that because uh, there's so much there's so many podcasts i try and listen to as much of them as i can but there are sort of ones you've got to sort of single out as uh, okay. These are the ones I'm going to listen to regularly, and that's one I always make a point of of, of hearing. And I've got ideas to do more podcasts. Obviously, this podcast here is is going really well, and uh, I've got some great guests lined up. But I, I definitely want to do more of them. And obviously, we talked about doing that uh, video store show with uh, Darren uh, Darren Wadsworth. I'd love to do that at some point as well. So uh,
1: yeah, we definitely have to do that one for sure.
0: But thank you very much indeed, Chris. It's been a pleasure to, to get you on and uh, do this. And uh, whatever podcast I choose to do in the future, I'd love to have you back.
1: Hey, anytime you need me, just hit me up and I'll be glad to come on because I had a really good time tonight.
0: And uh, the next podcast guest I have lined up is another Chris. Uh, Chris Aitken, are you familiar with him uh,
1: chris is a very good friend of mine we have been buddies through the observer site for years uh we hang out when we get to see each other at wrestlemania uh probably one of the best friends that i have made from the wrestling observer slash fight game group uh very very good dude and always good to hang out with so he will be a a great conversationalist for you
0: yeah i look very much forward to that so for chris i'm david thank you very much indeed for listening